from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNY News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. While at CUNA's Governmental Affairs Conference in Washington, D.C. earlier this month, the CUNA News staff had the chance to sit down and talk with conference attendees. These vendors and credit union leaders shared insights on what's going on in the movement and within the walls of their credit unions. After giving a keynote address, adventurist and author Allison Levine expanded on the idea of limitations and how to determine whether a person should take a risk. So can you talk a little bit about how you turn limitations into an, adv- an advantage? Um, so I think that when you have a limitation, so much of it is like subjective as far as how you let it affect you. So you can either allow yourself to be held back by limitation or you can figure out a way to get around it and try to achieve more than you probably would have had you not had that limitation to begin with. So for me, limitations just fuel me to achieve more. When you're attempting something that's really hard and something that carries a lot of risk, how do you know when that risk is worth it and how do you know when it's not? So you have to understand what the true goal is. So the top of a mountain, the summit of a mountain is never the goal. The summit is always come back alive. That's the number one goal. Come back with all your fingers and toes, come back as friends with the people that you're with. So for me, no summit is ever worth taking too much risk for because a mountain's just a pile of rock and ice. You can always go back. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? The best piece of advice I've ever gotten? Yeah. Go down swinging. <laughs> what if you could leave everybody in, the, in this room today, these, all these 5,000 credit union people with one big takeaway from your talk, what would it be? I would leave them with the message that um, to make sure that you are failure tolerant. I talked about this at the end of the speech. We're not really a very failure tolerant society. And when we don't tolerate failure, that's what really stifles progress and innovation and prevents people from taking risks. So if you're gonna ever you know, achieve great things and really embrace a spirit of innovation, you have to give yourself to your team to fail. So that's what I want people to take away. Gigi Highland, executive director of the National Credit Union Foundation, talked about the tie between a person's physical and financial health, what that means, and how credit unions are addressing it. You know, the foundation has been on a journey probably for the last four and a half years around financial health. We knew that after the Great Recession, members were really still struggling financially. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we looked at a lot of the national data and talked to credit unions about that national data. You know, whether it's 40% can't come up with $400 mm-hmm. or two-thirds are living paycheck to paycheck. And right. as we went through that journey, we realized um, that more and more there's talk outside of the credit union system around what are known as social determinants of health, meaning um, what's causing somebody to have high blood pressure? And is it something they're eating or is it really the fact that they're under financial stress? Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that the healthcare industry is looking beyond the four walls of a hospital or a clinic to try to identify what those causes might be and then partner with entities to try to resolve those. Mm -hmm. And so for credit unions, it's a really interesting opportunity to use their financial acumen and expertise and meet other partners in a community to really help the same member with a variety of issues. You know, the credit union certainly is the expert in the financial issues, but gosh, if that member is having trouble because they don't live in affordable housing or they're food insecure or they have medical debt, how can the credit union work with those other community partners to address that issue, which is causing equally physical stress and financial stress at the same time. So, so it's it's a little bit bleeding edge right sure. now, but uh, yeah. To that, I would just ask, um, yeah, in what ways are you seeing credit unions do that? Or do you envision that working 
to the betterment of both credit unions and their communities. Right. So we uh, we actually issued a, a white paper on this subject in July of last year, and it's available on ncuf.coop on our website. And we see, we're seeing um, several credit unions in this arena. So we gave some examples in our website. Um, a legacy federal credit union down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, has partnered with that healthcare system to do actually start a new QSO called WellQ, where people can pay a fairly minimal amount of money to get a regular checkup, and that includes a financial health checkup as well, and to do sort of basic physical things that they need. So, you know, blood pressure medication, a variety of different things. Um, Freedom First in Roanoke, Virginia, is working on a collaboration with um, Carillion Health and their local school system to meet the needs of kids who have a high degree of asthma in Roanoke, but also to respond to the financial health needs of those families and those kids by having sort of a central place where those families and those kids can go as part of the school. So already a trusted place where the families would go to be leveraged really as a community health resource as well as a financial health resource. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think more credit unions are doing this than people realize. I think of Providence Credit Union out in Oregon, um, Shirley Kate, who's also doing great work with that to really be more than a finance be more than an HR benefit for the hospital, mm-hmm. but to really partner with the hospital to figure out how do we make our employees healthy, both financially healthy and physically healthy. So it's happening in, in various places, and I think there's a lot more opportunity for credit unions to just kind of look around their community and see where those, where those opportunities might be and then seize them. KCT Credit Union in Elgin, Illinois, takes steps to help members manage their financial health, says Mike Lee, president and CEO. We actually uh, created a loan. It's actually a get-out-of-debt loan, or the acronym is the GOOD loan. (laughs) It's a three-year unsecured loan, uh, and basically it's to attack credit card debt. And right now we have a special. Now this is at the best rating, but it's 599. Wow. So what we do is we bring people in, and we actually do this thing called a debt checkup. So we just tell people, bring all of your debt into the credit union and just shop it. You work hard in life. Mm -hmm. You should use this money the best appropriate way you can. Why throw it away? Uh, 99% of the time, we find money. Mm. So, and then in addition to that, as we are working in the school districts, but this is kind of everywhere, a lot of people have a lot of burden with uh, student loan debt. Mm. So the other thing we developed was a student loan refi program. So, and uh, our base best loan on that is a five-year. If you have the ability to pay it back in five years, the base rate is 299 Wow. So what we do is we go in, we basically educate, but we do the financial wellness literacy part, but then we immediately have solutions. Mm-hmm. But we do it very, um, with a lot of thought. So we literally put it all in a spreadsheet, and we pull their credit. And then the other thing we do, which is very normal, a lot of times when the people first come in, I can't give them the very best rates because their credit score isn't high enough. But even at that, we usually are already saving them money. Mm-hmm. So what's very rewarding, I think a lot of people, one of the problems with financial literacy or wellness, people don't see improvement quick enough in how it helps their lives. Mm-hmm. So what we do then is uh, we ask them to come back a year later. We tell them exactly what to do in their credit and what to pay off to improve it. And then a year later, we'll refinance every loan at the lower rate. 
Wow. So we're rewarding them if they take the advice and actually put it into action. And that's the thing I think about all the time. How do you take philosophy and put it into action? Mm -hmm. It's easy to talk about something, but it's a whole different thing. You know, it's like wanting to lose weight. Well, how do you put that into action? You want to quit smoking. How do you put that in action? And what we're finding, debt is the same way. James Collins, president and CEO of OB Credit Union, provided insight into how the Tumwater, Washington-based credit union became involved in cannabis banking. So uh, back in 2014, when Washington State legalized uh, state uh, cannabis, we uh, uh, looked at that industry and uh, initially decided not to serve it. Um, but some of our members who had had businesses, um, for example, doing drywall, had come to us saying that, you used to bank us when I was doing drywall. A month later, I'm now a cannabis owner and you don't. And we rationalized that we serve the member, not the business. So we uh, opened up a pilot program. Since then, we've expanded to over 200 uh, businesses and uh, continue to expand that uh, you know, today. And what services do you offer these businesses? We offer uh, deposit, uh, business, uh, deposit services, uh, so checking accounts, saving accounts. Um, they can also do uh, home banking. They can get uh, debit cards uh, for their business. Um, we're even offering through a third party some limited merchant services, uh, but that's, uh, that's not really through us, it's a referral. And uh, we're always looking for more, uh, more things for them. The one thing we will not do for them at this point is lending. Mm -hmm. uh, we look forward to doing that in the future when it's less murky on the legislative side. Credit unions are driven by the seven cooperative principles, and Doug O'Brien, president and CEO of the National Cooperative Business Association, offered an in-depth look. NCBA uh, is uh, 103 years old, and we're the umbrella organization for all types of cooperative businesses, including credit unions. Uh, our mission for that entire time has been to promote, advocate, and defend the cooperative business model. And the way that we do that really is through advocacy and public awareness. And then we, we create that content to make sure that we can advocate for the cooperative business model and so that we can really make sure that the public is aware of that cooperative distinction or as, mm -hmm. as uh, Jim Nussel would say, those cooperative superpowers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, you, you and I were talking a little bit earlier. Uh, you're, you've been doing a deep dive into the cooperative principles. Yeah. What, have, what have you discovered? Well, we have. So... Um, I'll, I'm going to back up a little bit. And uh, about um, three years ago, our board, which which includes repre representation, there's there's four actually credit union uh, reps on our board, including CUNA itself. Um, they did a, a kind of a strategic visioning, and they asked, "What could NCBA do to help cooperatives and credit unions um, create an even better world?" All right, so that that big, and. After a long time and, and some deep thinking, they determined that really it's about how to provide economic opportunity for everybody and how co-ops and credit unions can do that. In other words, how they can create a more inclusive economy, an economy that's participatory, that's equitable, that's sustainable, that's stable, and that grows for everyone. Along those lines, we've been working around, you know, diversity and equity, which is so key because we know, you know, the statistics tell us in terms of both income and wealth generation that not all communities, you know, are participating in this economy um, as much as everybody else. And, and that's the way it's been, sadly, in the United States. And, and in many ways, it's not getting much better. 
So um, I read with great interest at the beginning of February the column from uh, from then chair uh, Marie Smith on uh, you know suggesting that maybe we have an eighth cooperative principle that would add on to the current seven and that would make clear the priority uh, that cooperative businesses be diverse that they look at equity in you know in everything that they do. That led me to look at the current seven principles. Uh, and actually, to engage in, in a conversation uh, by email and then and then by phone with Maurice, who I'm just such a huge fan of. Um, and I, I looked at the cooperative principles and looked at the guidance notes. These are like the, the formal background notes, the legislative history, if you will, uh, for the cooperative principles from the International Cooperative Association, and and learned that that many, in fact, most of those seven principles, they already call out. You know how important diversity and equity is. Certainly, the first principle, open and voluntary membership. You know, you can really see that clearly. But then, when you look down at some of the principles, like education and training, the fifth principle, um, and uh, and the seventh principle of care for community, it calls out how important it is that you know we give everybody the tools to be successful. And that part of that care for communities is caring for the entire community, not not just the part of the community that might look like you. After the 2018 midterm elections, Illinois has 51 new legislators. Tom Kane, president and CEO of the Illinois Credit Union System, discussed how to educate new legislators about credit unions. So you've had a lot of turnover in your state legislature. Uh, you were saying 51 new representatives. Yeah. Um, what do you do to, to educate them, the new representatives about credit unions? Yeah, it's, it's a challenge this year, and typically we only see that kind of turnover. It was almost 30% of the state legislature turned over. We typically only see that kind of turnover after uh, you know they do the census and they do the remap and that kind of thing. Uh, this year, though, we just did, it was part of the blue wave. Um, Illinois has all sorts of fiscal issues as well, so there's a lot of them that just retired and just said, I'm done with this, <laughs> and then they just bailed. And so just a reflection of what's happening out in Washington, a lot of younger, a lot more diversity, that kind of thing. So our challenge is, and we have a lot of state chartered credit unions. Um, uh, we have 75% of our 250 credit unions are state chartered. So we're very engaged at, in Springfield. We have a staff of four down there all the time. And so we have done an education um, kind of campaign with them. We've held a reception. We actually have the closest credit union uh, or association uh, office to the Capitol. So the legislatures, legislators like to come over to our place. We have the banking groups come over to our place and use the space at times, which is really strange. But um, So we get a lot of legislators to come over. Uh, we've been going, dropping off our materials. We had a, a reception for them. And so it's just a matter of you know, getting to know you getting for them to understand what credit unions are. Uh, some of them have a pretty good idea and then others, no idea at all. So, so it's kind of a whole spectrum of, uh, of education. So, But it's so important because Illinois, as I mentioned before, has some fiscal issues. So we know a tax increase is coming. We just don't know for whom. Uh, pretty sure it's gonna be on individuals, probably businesses, the state income tax is likely to go up. Credit unions are not in the mix yet, but I think the joke I always have is the legislators will be looking in the cushions of the couches for, for, <laughs> for pennies, nickels, whatever they can find. So it really puts us on alert. You know, what happened in Iowa last year with the tax threat over there, 
thinking across the Mississippi and, and end up in Illinois this year. So we are, you know, going to be making sure that we educate our, our legislators why that would be such a bad idea. So mm-hmm. it's a big job for us this year. Yeah. Do you think you'll, the, like, the awareness campaign will factor into your education efforts? Yeah, I think so. I actually, one of the committee meetings that I was on, I'm on the consideration committee, which is the group that's been put together to sort of help guide this, the rollout, you know, sort of the governance of this, and then also the metrics. And so I've been very, very engaged in this really from from day one. And I think it's really going to be important for us because the more that people, uh, consumers who aren't even credit union members, learn about this, as well as the legislators themselves. We're hoping that they'll be able to see a lot of the great messaging that CUNA is putting out there. Um, it's, it's a wonderful branding and, and category messaging that's been assembled. So we'll use that same information and provide it to our legislators as well. Mm-hmm. So as much as we can get the message out in any sort of form, any sort of way, I think it's really important for us. Sean Rastian, CEO of Consumers Credit Union in Gurney, Illinois, and Tim O'Donnell, CEO of Financial Plus Credit Union in Ottawa, Illinois, talked about what issues they plan to speak with their legislators about during their hill hikes. Well, I think uh, we have a couple that are of high importance to us. The first is um, the data security. Um, We're often dealt with the breaches and having to compromise cards, having to reissue those cards. And the members actually think it is our problem, not that it was a merchant's issue. And so we bear all the costs, but more importantly, we we bear the brand hit of how the member sees how my card has been reissued. And we've been advocating that for years. But I think this year is the optimum time for us to advance this on the federal level. So we're going to push really hard on that. The second item might be a little bit unique for us because in our primary area of membership, we have two brand new congressmen. And so they're completely unfamiliar with credit unions. So I think for us, we need to educate them how we're different. So we're going to bring them back to the financial crisis and kind of talk about what credit unions did during the crisis, talk about how credit unions never got a bailout for the federal government. There's never been $1 taxpayer money to help credit unions. And in the crisis, when the corporates failed due to the Wall Street greed and the private mortgage-backed securities, we all ponied up and paid for that uh, bailout for those corporate credit unions, but the Treasury never had one cent ever paid, and that's a big difference, and we want them to understand why we're different so they can support us now and in the future legislatively. So really, a history lesson. A history lesson. I could have said that a lot more succinctly. Yeah, I, uh, cybersecurity is going to be a, a big area of concentration for us as well. It's an area. It's something we brought up over the last three or four years, but I feel like it's starting to get a little bit more momentum up here on the hill. So hopefully, we'll have a little bit more more interest, a little bit more success with that. Uh, the other thing, of course, is the amendment to the Federal Credit Union Act. Uh, we're going to ask our congressman if he'd like to be a co-sponsor of that. It's been 20 years since that's been updated, uh, which is well past time with all the changes we've seen in the financial arena. Uh, we need to update that. Building a diverse board is key, and Philip Browarski, the board chair at Glass City Federal Credit Union in Maumee, Ohio, offered his insights on how to accomplish the task. So looking at your role as a board member, what, what do you think is the most challenging part about being a credit union director? I think the most challenging part is to engage 
the balance of your board and to work as a unit. Oftentimes, boards uh, are not as participatory as they should be. When you can get members from a wide range of your community, a wide range of interests, retired people, working people, young people, uh, then you get the best possible board participation, and then you can get some enlightened leadership in your credit union. Mm -hmm. What do you do to attract a more diverse group of, of board members? I think one of the most difficult jobs of a current board chairman or board member is to attract those board members. Board members, as you know, are volunteers, and there's a lot of competition to get competent, hardworking volunteers. Uh, we've used to rely primarily on employees in the glass industry and retirees from the glass industry. And we've tried to broaden that to bring in more professional people and more people with a broader range of expertise. Mm -hmm. what's, what's a good selling point for a potential volunteer? Wow, if I knew that, I would probably have a better and more diverse board. <laughs> I think if you have a good board that gets along and does a good job, that you have very little attrition. And so I haven't had the chore of recruiting new board members often, nor have we had the chore of re recruiting new CEO and upper-level management because we've had a, a cohesive board that really works as a unit. Chuck Fagan, the president and CEO of PSCU, discussed the changes in the mobile banking landscape. And in terms of mobile trends, it's, it's unbelievable in the payment space and in the digital space just how quickly things are moving that way. And, you know, as we at PSCU, we have a, a discipline of investing back into our infrastructure and technology on an annual basis. And mobile gets a big chunk of that just because of all that's happening. And I think as I look at credit unions, to the degree that the credit union employee that's dealing with the member up front can stay in the core, and the degree that the member always stays in the credit union's URL, they feel that safety and feel that comfort because they trust their credit union. So we're doing things using APIs and bringing the card data into those channels. So as the member engages with the credit union in a call center, as they engage with them in a branch, we need to create that same experience on the digital side. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one way in terms of mobile. And then I think as you look at mobile from a day-to-day -day utilization, you know, you think about credit cards. Years ago, the focus of credit cards was around pricing, AT&T, Universal, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The second wave of cards really focused on loyalty with the reward programs, points for air miles, that kind of stuff. We're now in the stage where we're focused on the actual transaction experience. And, and Uber probably has driven some of that just because the payment experience as you ride in an Uber and finish is so easy. Mm -hmm. So you think contactless and you think the digital wallets as we move in that direction, it's such a better experience at the point of sale. So a lot of investment around making that transaction fast and making it safe. So, you know, all the fraud techniques and things we do behind the scene to ensure that the good transactions go through and we catch the, the bad ones, mm -hmm. uh, that balance is something we're investing heavily in. Libby Calderon, President and Chief Operating Officer at LSC, talked about her new role and the ability it gives her to impact credit unions. 
You know, it has been an interesting, exciting challenge. Um, I've been there for two months now. Came to LSC after running a credit union for 30 years in Illinois. So, um, and that was really one of the intriguing aspects about it was switching from that role of the B2C, dealing with members mm -hmm. and customers, uh, and transitioning to the B2B, mm -hmm. dealing with credit unions as a whole, not their yeah. members. So, um, I have to say, I miss the members though, sure. <laughs> because it is that you was know, a long time. Are, yeah. are about the members. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm really, I was really excited about the ability to impact credit unions, mm -hmm. um, and you know, my credit union is very successful mm -hmm. in taking some of those strategies and ideas and helping other credit unions be very successful, and at the same time learning from those other credit unions and facilitating an environment to share sure. that. So that was exciting. Um, one of the first things I did when I got on, on the job was really reach out and talk to all the credit unions that we do business with and, and share with them that, hey, I've walked in your, mm -hmm. in your shoes. I know what you're experiencing out there um, trying to help members, mm -hmm. and so I can bring that empathy mm -hmm. to it and um, be your business partner yeah. in LSC. So that, that was, it's very exciting. So, so far it's been very exciting. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think, yeah, partnerships, collaboration, that's kind of, those are the buzzwords for how we get things done, right? Absolutely, Yeah. and that's credit unions yeah. too. And, you know, yeah. it's, you know, we love our, our members and we love our credit union business partners and that, that whole collaboration is, is the beauty of the credit union industry. Yeah. So. At Fiserv, giving back is part of the company's culture, said Vinnie Brennan, president and CEO of Credit Union Solutions at Fiserv. I think that's one of the things that aligns Fiserv with the credit union industry like so well, just giving back to the community. In, in 2018, within Fiserv, we had 30, almost 32,000 different um, acts of kindness and giving back to the community. And in 2019, we're shooting for 35,000 you know, moments of kindness and giving back because 2019 is the 35th anniversary of Fiserv. So it ties in nicely. And it ties in nicely with what we're doing this week, right? So we've partnered with the CUNA Foundation and the Children's Miracle Network. And in conjunction with all of our clients that are here, everybody attending GAC this year, uh, we're going to put together these kits. So these kits are for children that are in extended stay in the hospital. And uh, we also have another version that for people that have you know, been met with maybe natural disaster or what have you. And by the end of this week, we hope to generate or create 3,500 of these kits, if not more. And we'll actually deliver some of them locally to the Children's Miracle Network Hospital that is close by here in DC. That's true. So we're really excited about it. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.